We're going to continue with uh, going through the book of Ephesians. Actually, I should just say we're going to continue through going through the first verse of <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're not going to get out of the first verse today, so I just want to make sure you know that. Um, but I so enjoyed our time last week. I felt almost for the first time that we were in a mode of just receiving, not trying to understand something, not trying to get it. And I just felt like here, I felt like there was a flow going, just like, my goodness, they're receiving what God has for them when it comes to these things that we've been talking about. And I know that many of you are learning new things when it comes to being a believer in who you are in Christ. And for some of you, that learning hasn't translated into the transformation that you had hoped for. Some of you have learned these things and you get frustrated because you just don't see what you know translate into what you're doing. And that can be discouraging at times. But I want to encourage you not to be dismayed by that. To realize that the seeds of the life of God and the word of God have been planted. Which means that you don't often see a lot of growth off the bat. That the seeds when they're planted, they often start growing below the soil. And so I, I want to encourage you never to measure yourself just based upon how you're now acting or thinking or doing. Just know that these seeds of the gospel have been planted. And it says in uh, Mark chapter 4, when somebody receives the word of God and their soil is ready, that they will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold inside their life. So don't get sidetracked because of what you don't see. Because the seeds will produce a great result to those who believe. And just recently I was asked a question, and I thought it was a great question. Um, I think it was a bold question, but somebody had just asked me, so how do you know, Justin, that the things that you've been teaching at New Day are right? And immediately I just wanted to put it off and say, you know what, it's not about just being right, but it's about seeing the fruit of something. And so our, my answer back to this individual, because there was a great conversation, was, you know, of course it has to be congruent with the scriptures. But you can make the scriptures say almost anything. And I said, I look at the fruit of what's happening in people's lives. Like I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know what? I see an increased amount of joy in people's lives by what they're believing about the gospel. There's not this heaviness and this burden, this weight that they're carrying. But it's almost like they're lighter because they believe what God has now been declaring over their lives. So there's this newfound joy that's rising up inside of them. One of the other fruits that I see is I see people desiring more of God. Not knowing how to live this Christian life. There's a big difference. Like Justin Howe, no, they're like, I just want more of who this God is that we've been talking about. That's a great sign that what we're teaching is actually along the lines of what the scriptures are teaching. And the third one I found is that there's this growing experience of loving each other. And Jesus even said that they will know you by the love that you have for one another. And so I look at that and I go, God, you're actually, by your word and by your spirit, you're doing those things inside of the people's lives that there's this joy again for life. There's this newfound desire to know him more. And there's this awesome love that I see people actually caring about the person that's next to them. That we're weeping with those who weep and we're rejoicing with those who rejoice. As I mentioned last week, you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are a proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you read those, you're going to see it proclaimed of what the Gospel is. And the book of Acts is a demonstration of the Gospel. 
And so we see the gospel working inside of people's lives. And so one of the difficulties at times is we look at that and we go, oh, I need to be more like that or more like this. No, you don't look at Acts and go, I need to be more. You go, you look at Acts and go, man, when the gospel and the seeds of the gospel get down on the inside of me, that's going to be the result. Let me just say that again, because oftentimes we look at Acts and the people and what they did and we go, I'm going to go do that. But the reason why they did that is because what the gospel changed on the inside of them first. And so the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're a proclamation. The book of Acts is a demonstration. And as we go through this letter of Paul, it's an explanation of the gospel. And so if you're turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read the first six verses. And we're going to cover verse number 1 today. All right, here it goes. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. How many saints do we have in here? Ooh, it's growing. That's awesome. If you weren't here last week, your hand is probably by your side. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, or Abba, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse number six, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Remember about this letter of Ephesians that it was a letter that was written by Paul from prison to those believers who were in Ephesus. He wrote to the believers. This letter is considered to be actually Paul's masterpiece theologically. That in this one short letter that literally takes about 15 to 20 minutes to read straight through, it begins to show you how to walk in the fullness of all that God has given to us as sons and daughters of himself. And so think about it. If you have never read the book of Ephesians, if you have maybe never studied it, you may never be able to fully understand what has been given to you. It's like something great has been deposited into your accounts. Or someone passed away and you have an inheritance that you maybe know nothing about. You can't partake of something that you don't know that you have the rights to. And so this letter was written to remind them of the riches that are in Christ Jesus that are available for each and every one of us. And so as you read this letter, read it from the perspective of someone giving you this letter from Paul as an encouragement to you as a believer of Jesus Christ. This epistle is also known as the epistle of grace. Now this is Paul who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who was functional as they come, and now he's about to write a letter about grace, which is completely, almost nearly, contradictory to the life of, of the law. 
Now, the law is not bad. The Bible clearly says that the law is perfect and it's holy, but it has one purpose, to point you toward Christ, to remind you that you need a Savior. And now Jesus, who came with grace and truth, now deposited grace upon grace upon grace to everyone who will receive. So this book is also, for many scholars say this, that this is Paul's revelation that he got when he talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see these verses for a moment because they will help you understand the magnitude of the words. Like we have the Bible. I don't know where my Bible is. My Bible is right there, Wendy. Can I have one of those? Or both of them? I'll take the top one. So we have a Bible and sometimes we take this for granted. Sometimes we see it maybe just as another book. But this is not just a book of information. It has the power to literally change the way that you see and it changed the way that you live. And so oftentimes we get very familiar with something. It doesn't have as great as an impact as it could. And so Paul writes these, these words to the church of Corinth. He says, this boasting is also foolish. But let me go on. Let me tell you about the visions and the revelations that I received from who? From the Lord. These are directly words that were given to Paul from Jesus. And now Paul was telling us, man... I got these revelations that I don't know why he gave them to me, but he gave them to Paul, and he said, I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I have no clue. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. Do you realize that Paul never wrote about how beautiful heaven was? But he was caught up there, and what did he write about? How beautiful the gospel was. This is shocking, because most often, when people go to heaven, yeah, they come back and they say, you, it's amazing. But he came back with a revelation from God about the gospel, and how it not only impacts those who need a Savior, but those who also have embraced a Savior. Look at verse 5. That, that experience is something worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to boast, I'm only going to boast about my weaknesses. I have plenty to boast about and would be no fool in doing it because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. And I don't want anyone to think more highly of me than what they can actually see in my life and my message, even though I have received the wonderful revelations of God. So the book of Ephesians is him now writing these revelations that he received. These amazing things that he couldn't even talk to people about until he put them on paper. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1, it says these words again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the what? By the will of God. There's two statements that I just want you to be remembering of from last week about the will of God. That Jesus was our example and he said these two statements. I come only to do what? My Father's will. If we live like that with that posture, it changes the way that we treat people, the way that we listen to people, the way that we serve God and that we serve others. That I've only come for one will and that's to know my Father's will. And there's another statement he made when he was about to be crucified. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. How many have been there before where you, you have a desire, you have a way of going about wanting to do something, you want to see God do it this way, and you feel like he's actually causing you to go this way, there's moments in life where we just have to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. 
because we have to at least hopefully all come in agreement that God is always what? Good. And he always has your best in mind and he's always setting you up to succeed. So his will is perfect for you. His will is good for you. His will will always have your benefit at the end of the day. It won't have your punishment. And so true joy is not just having our own way. If you leave a kid to themselves, and sometimes many adults, the way that we want leads to a bad place. But true joy is when we finally come to a point where we can yield ourselves with gladness to God, I want your will inside my life. I want your plan inside of my life. And I, to me, personally, I'm a living testimony that his will does not always go according to your plan. That the things that you hope for, want, and desire isn't always what he hopes for, wants, and desires for your life. And then we talked about this, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 again, it says that by the will of God to the saints. Last week I did my best in 30, 40 minutes to persuade you that you would not see yourselves as just an old poor sinner, but you would see yourself as a saint in the eyes of God. That word saint just simply refers to somebody that has been set apart for a new purpose. That the God who created us is now the God who is our Father, and He wants us to have a relationship with Him on a personal level. And so there should be no reluctancy in you beginning to embrace and see that you're a saint and not a sinner. And our only reluctancy might come from the fact that we're not living like we think we should be living, which is the word holy. And the title saint is given to us, and I want you to listen to this, because of what Christ did for you, not because of how well you live your life. Saint is not a reward. Saint is not something that is given to you because you earned it. The word saint is how God sees you because of what Jesus did for you. And so we are chosen not because we were holy. Can I get an amen? amen? That means we're not rejected because we're not holy. Can I get an amen? amen? We are chosen so that we would actually be holy in Him. And holy means to be distinct, to be different, to be belonging to God, which ultimately should translate in us living differently than the world. It's out of our being that we do. So your doing does not make you a saint. Being a saint changes the way that you live your life. And when you see yourself always as a sinner that is undeserving of God's grace, but you're going to try to live up to the standards of a saint, you will fail time and time again. When you finally embrace by faith, God, you said I'm a saint, I believe it, and it's out of that believing that my life will now start to take on a different picture. And we are called to live different because we are different. He didn't just say, hey, act like a saint and start walking like a saint and start thinking like a saint. No, he says, you are. And remember when he told, what was, who, what was his name? You are a mighty man, Gideon. He said, you are a mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon was under a tree at the time debating whether or not life was still worth living. And he said, you are a mighty man of valor. It's out of that receiving. God, you see me that way? Okay, I believe it. And it's out of that being that we actually do. Now here's a statement I want to make sure I, I get across today, is that Jesus did not change the world because he was like the world. 
He changed the world because he was like his father. And oftentimes we want to be in the world and live like the world. And I just want to encourage you that it's your difference from the world being a saint that makes you make a difference in this world. That you don't have to know everything about this world to be an impact in this world. You just have to embody the love of God and the grace that's on your life. And you will start to make a difference wherever you go. And so as saints, we are to see differently. You can put that on the screen, Jackson. We are to see differently. That first and foremost, I want you to see this. That God gives his children a new lens before anything else. And that's what many of you in this room are starting to see life differently. You're starting to see God differently. You're starting to see yourselves differently. Then you start to see people differently. Amen. And then you start to see your problems differently. And that's why uh, James could say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because you see problems not as something that shouldn't happen. You see them as a stepping stone to an upgrade of who you are in God. And so he begins as saints, he says, okay, Justin, I want you to begin to see something differently. I want you to see life differently. So he upgrades my way of seeing. And then he begins to work on my mind, uh, how I think like him. Hey, Justin, how about if you just ask me what I think about that person? Well, no, that's not very good, God. I really don't like them. <laughs> yeah, but Justin, I died for them and I love them. Let love compel you that you would not see anybody according to the flesh. And then he starts to change our language. We start to now no longer speak from a person who is a victim of life. We start to speak from somebody who is now a victor. And we start to rejoice. Why? Not because we feel like it, but because that's who we are. That's our language of faith. Our language is rejoicing and giving thanksgiving. That's the will of God. And then last, last, lastly, what happens in a community of people who start to believe who they are... They start to love differently. They start able like Jesus did and like Stephen did when he was being stoned. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So going back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1, it says these words. Paul, an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the will of God and to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the faithful who are in Christ. If there's any message that I hope that I can be clear about, it's this one today about in Christ and what that actually means to every single person in here. And so I'm just going to ask you for the next 15, 20 minutes just to give me your full attention as best as you can. Because if you truly grasp this, it can change the trajectory of your life in so many ways. Your prayers will be completely different. The way that you relate to God will be different. The way that you stand up or wake up in the morning will be different because you won't see yourself who you used to be. And I believe one of the most important revelations that we can understand that Paul shares with us is that we have been placed in Christ and Christ dwells in us. Okay, I want to just make sure that's clear off the bat. You have been placed in Christ and Christ who we all, we, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, who we just go, he's everything. He has now, by the Spirit of God, been placed on the inside of you. Galatians 2.19 says it like this. But because the Messiah lives in me. So Jesus lives in you. Let's just get that right off the bat. Jesus dwells inside of you. 
And I know that's hard for us to fathom because of the way that we think at times and the way that we feel. And so he says, I've now died to the law's dominion over me so that I can now live to God. So this Christian life is not about you living just for God. It's allowing Christ to live for God through you. And I'm going to show you how that works and what that means. Because like Betty said when she was standing up here, so many of you are trying so hard to be good Christians. And I want to assure you that it's not based upon your strength. It's based upon the Christ that lives in you that will forgive the unforgiving. That will love the unlovable. That will be able to bless those who curse you and pray for those who uh, say something against you. That's not easy to do. Just recently, I actually, and it wasn't a forced thing, but as I was going through this whole understanding, I began to realize, Justin, there's somebody that's been criticizing you. How have you blessed them? And so I wrote them something and just blessed them of how I believe God sees them because that breaks the power not only in my life on building up bitterness and unforgiveness, but also at the same time, it puts them on a place where they don't even know what to do at times. And so you and I are a new creation. And we were created in Christ Jesus. And the spirit of Christ now dwells in every single one of us. And so when you were saved, when I was saved, God placed us, our new person, in Christ. Therefore, we are the accepted and the beloved. Accepted is a big thing because most often... We live our lives from an orphan mindset, which is always fearful of one thing, rejection. And I remember living much of my Christian life functionally in the hopes, knowing that at any moment, God could reject me. You have been made accepted, where? In the beloved. That's not changing. Thank you, Andy. We now have Christ's life and his nature living on the inside of us. So in Christ, allow me to go through this for just a moment because it may seem um, academic, but I really want to make sure we, we just solidify a few things. In Christ defines our eternal and our permanent and our spiritual location and position. So when I've been placed in Christ, that is now my new position where I stand with God. I'm no longer in Adam, which the Bible talks about who we used to be. I'm now in Christ. In Christ is a new reality and a perspective on life. And that's why we'll see in Ephesians 2, 6 when we get there in December. <laughs> that he, he has raised us up together in Christ so that we can see life from a different perspective. It's a brand new lens that he has given us. About three months ago, I, I saw, a, I think it was a YouTube video of a person that was colorblind and they were given some of these glasses that came out. And it was like a perfect understanding of how we see life when we're in who we used to be and how we see life when he's placed us in Christ. We're like, holy cow, this is different. And we start to live differently because we see differently. In Christ grants us complete and total access into the intimate and living union between us and Jesus. In Christ speaks to our new life in him. And so this phrase, in Christ, which you will see, was written nine times in just chapter number one. Nine times Paul 
was writing about this term in Christ. This is a revelation. When God took him to the third heaven, God began to go, I want to teach you something about the gospel. And the essence of the gospel is this term in Christ, nine times in chapter one. In all of his, all of his writings, that word in Christ, in him, in whom, is written nearly 160 times. Now that's important. When you see something written over and over and over again, it's trying to communicate something to us as those who are reading this letter that this is extremely important for us in our faith in Christ. And if I were to do a small little quiz on who you are in Christ, with maybe where that's at in the Bible, how many of us would struggle to come up with some of those answers? But yet it's the most important thing for us to know as children of God. And so in the eyes of God, we are no longer in Adam's sinful men. But we are now saints who have been placed in Christ, which the Bible says Jesus is the second Adam. And so that statement in Christ, how many love cliff notes when you went to high school? It's like right read the whole book when somebody can write a much smaller book for you. Well, this statement in Christ is like the cliff notes of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is about? Just look at in Christ statements all throughout the epistles and you'll go, wow, that's what the gospel speaks to you and I. It speaks of a joint partnership with Christ so that whatever heaven wants to shower upon Christ, guess who also is a recipient of those things? Okay, amen. Amen. We're excited. Okay, we're, we're like in the learning mode, I guess, because... Whatever heaven is going to shower upon Jesus because we are in joint partnership and because I'm in him, I'm now a recipient of the very things that Jesus himself deserves. So all of favor of heaven is attracted to the Jesus on the inside of me. All the grace that he deserves is deserving now for me. I get to be a beneficiary of this partnership that I have because I am where? In Christ. And as Betty said, you are complete in him. But how many of us are trying to fix ourselves? How many of ourselves are trying to clean up ourselves or trying to become a better Christian? But if you are complete, it's from that place of realizing, wait, I'm complete in Christ? And then the quick thought comes, well, if you're complete, then why'd you think that one? And why'd you do that? And why are you feeling that? And so oftentimes we get our mind off of receiving by faith into what we see. And that's where we lose sight or we drift away from the gospel. So it may sound and appear humble to say these words and to treat yourself like a lowly, no good, non-deserving sinner. How many have been there before? I know one person I, I was a, a friend with who he said, man, for so many years, he, every single morning he would spend literally 15, 20 minutes and just apologize and apologize and apologize and apologize and apologize to make sure that he was now right with God because of all the things that he thought and that he felt. But true humility is to accept by faith who we are in Christ and to confidently, not cocky, but confidently acknowledge all that is good because of Christ being in us. And so how many of you find it easier to acknowledge your own weakness and your faults and your flaws than who you are in Christ? We all know what our weaknesses are. We all know where we fall short. We all know of the shortcomings inside of our life. And then we can get fixated on those things. And so our conversations with God are more about who we're not 
and our weaknesses and our flaws than they are about who God said that we are. Look at Philemon chapter or verse number 6. It says that the sharing of your faith may become what? Effective. That if you want to become effective in the sharing of your faith and the growing of your faith, you do it by what? The acknowledgement of every good thing that is where? Where? In you. You acknowledge every good thing that is in you. And how many times are we acknowledging every bad thing that's in us? How, how many times are we sharing how many flaws we have and all the weaknesses that we have instead of actually by faith going, God, I'm going to acknowledge between you and I this morning every good thing that you made me in Christ Jesus. That's when you start to grow in understanding who God said that you are. So in Christ, you are just like Jesus before the Father. And I know some of these statements I'm about to share with you seem radical. I want to encourage you, please, to receive it first, but then go study it for yourself. Go look at all the 164 verses of in Christ and see what they say about you. It will be astounding for you to find that out. And so we are just like, think about this, identical twins. That when he sees Jesus and when he looks at us, what does he see different? Who said that? Say a little louder. That's hard to fathom. Because he doesn't see us according to who he used to be or his shortcomings. He sees us because he has placed us where? In Jesus and the spirit of Christ is placed within us. And so when he looks at both of us, he sees us both as deserving sons of him. I am not saying you are Jesus. I am not saying you are a little God. I am saying that how he sees you is the same because that's how he now made you in Christ. This is what is called identification. That the father looks at you and he sees you in Christ. That word identification, you can put that on the screen, means to be to treat as being the same. It also means the condition or fact of being the same in all qualities under consideration. The sameness or oneness. The definition or identity reads to us or reminds us that when God looks at us, he identifies us with Christ, not with who we used to be. And so when we really understand that we have been placed in Christ, it changes then the way that we see, the way that we think, and the way that we live. But how many have we, we've all fallen prey to it, let's work on your behavior first. And so we conform ourselves to a way that Christianity should look like. And so we're all trying hard to praise right, to sound right, to give thanksgiving, to live right. But if you truly begin to see yourself the way that God sees you, in the end, the way that you live completely changes just as well. And so we have a new ID. Put that picture on the screen if you don't mind, Jackson. Now this new ID is important because you now have access into the presence of God. It's like when you work at one of those facilities where you have an ID and you have to swipe it. And if the ID is not right, what happens? You don't get in. When you were in sin, in Adam, and you had a past, and you tried, excuse me, when you try to swipe it, and you're like, man, I can't get access. Yeah, because the access is what? Trusting that Jesus, what he did for you, was final. And so now you put your trust in Jesus, you're now giving a, you're given a new ID. 
That ID, when you swipe it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you now have access into the presence of the Most High. That's awesome because my ID was not what I earned. And so because I was given it, because I was put my trust in Christ, doesn't mean it can be revoked just simply because I'm not living the way that I need to. But it will change the way because the more times you access the presence of God, what happens? You become just like your father. And so our new ID says these words. Instead of a sinner, you are now a saint. Instead of the lost, you are now called found. Instead of the enemy of the gospel, you are now called a friend of God. Instead of unrighteous, you are now called the righteousness of God. Instead of the weak, you are now called the strong. Instead of the victim, you are now called the victor. Instead of being the tail, you are now the head. Instead of being overcome, you are now an overcomer. And instead of being feeble, you are now called mighty. And instead of being cursed, you are now called the blessed. That's what your new ID says about you. I want to show you something because oftentimes we struggle. Let me see if I can do this. You will? Okay. We struggle with understanding if this comes across the way that I think it in my mind, because I haven't done this before, but I had this thought yesterday, and so Sarah went out and bought me some things that I asked for. This will help you understand why, wait, if I'm in Christ and he's in me, well, how do we start to look more the same? Anybody feel like you just don't look like Jesus yet? So pour the pink in. So this is going to be us, okay? Let's pour it all the way in. Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Wait, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay, there you go. No, no, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Okay, that's too much. Let's pour some back in. Okay, okay, good. Okay, so that's us, okay? Okay, you want to hold it? Okay, this is Jesus. Okay, let's put the top on. So there's a clear distinction between the two, right? And so what we think, thank you, Sarah, very much. No, not shake it yet. Okay. There's a clear distinction. And so, thank you, Sarah. And so we think, well, how do you make these things more look like one? And so we start to try to act differently, and we start to try to hear another message or read our Bible, all these things. I want to show you something I believe could have a profound effect. How many have ever been through a tough time or a circumstance in life? All right. That is the moment where you're upgraded. You are not upgraded in your prayer time. You are not upgraded here at the church. You are upgraded when you go through a moment in life and you're shaken. And you respond the way that Jesus would because that's who you are. How would I, my new man respond to this? And you start to love somebody that persecuted and you start to shake. And now you're being upgraded. And then another trial comes and you start to count it all joy. Why? Knowing that that trial is going to produce patience. And so you count it all joy. You're not faking it. But what happens is you're starting to see these two mix. And so it's in the moments of life that you become transformed. So when you feel like you're being shaken in life and it's like difficult and why God are you allowing me to go through this, realize that in every single circumstance there is an upgrade to become more like Jesus. Okay? 
Now watch this. Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and put that on the screen, Jackson. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. It's, it's down further. And we know that all things, what? Work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So I am trusting God, all things work together. But look at this connecting verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And so it's knowing God, all things work together. I don't know why you allowed this. We don't know why you allowed our daughter to get diagnosed with diabetes when she was seven. Because she didn't deserve it. But I'm just going to count it all joy, Father, somehow. And I know that there's an upgrade for me to see something differently, to see life differently, to see you differently, that I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm actually going to praise you. And as I praise him, I start to get this mixture to where literally it's now looking more like we're the same. And that's how you start to become a partaker in 2 Peter chapter 1. You become a partaker now of his divine nature. And you start to look more like Christ because you've been upgraded. Are you following me? So that is how he trains us. Like don't despise the difficult moments of life because it's when you respond who you are in Christ, it starts to now take on a shape of causing you to look just like Jesus. And yeah, we have much more to go and there's going to be many more difficulties and trials, but those things are going to upgrade you to who you are called to be in Christ Jesus. Amen? So let me just finish off with these final two statements because I know we're, we're at the end of our time. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is where? How many people are in Christ in this room? Okay, so if you're in Christ, you are what? That means it's unprecedented. It's never been created before. Humanity or the world has never seen a species that was created as a new creation in Christ. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. That means you are given a new heart. That means you're given new desires with a new lens and with a new mind, the mind of Christ, so that you can live the life that God has called you to live. We're not trying to live this life from our old person. We're, that old person is dead, amen? And so old things have what? Passed away. So why are we trying to fix it? Why are we holding on to who we used to be and regretting what we did? Because God said all things, or old things, have passed away. Behold, all things have become New in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Jackson, one more verse and then we're going to finish. It says these words, My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. I hope you catch this. You have been placed in Christ. Your old identity no longer lives. He will rear his ugly head. He will try to act out. He'll try to make sure that he stays alive. But you just put him back in the place where he belongs, which is in the grave. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. And we live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. It's the life of Christ that you just now become. You don't rely on your own strength. When you go through a challenging time or you're going to get ready for an upgrade, you say, Father, just show me how to live this life through you. And just allow yourself to love others through me, Father God, that I can be upgraded in these difficult moments. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for an opportunity that we had to hear your word. And I know so many individuals here, Father God, 
are growing in who they are in Christ. Father, show us how to live this life out through you and you through us that we would embrace every aspect of who we are in Christ Jesus and that we won't doubt for a moment that that's how you see us and that's how you created us in Christ. And so we bless you today, Father God, and we thank you for the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me this morning?